Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And so Ephesians, you know, is a great book, and you should read it. It's wonderful. There's so much meat, really, here. And, and Paul comes along, he gets to chapter 4. Chapter 4 is really that dividing spot. The first three chapters, really laying out the doctrine. Laying out the things, man, you need to know this. And when he gets to chapter 4, begin this very practical section of how we're to live, how we're to walk. And he starts that with, of course, therefore, going backwards to all those sort of things, as a prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you, that word beseech is really to beg you, I beg you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. Begging you that you would walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. The word Greek word for worthy there is axos. At the root of that meaning is really this idea of weight. And really the weight of the first three chapters. The weight of this glory. We use it axiom can have its meaning when we talk about an equation that we're really trying to add something to both sides that it would balance out. And so this is this idea that we're trying to bring into this side, that both sides would balance out, that your walk would be worthy of the calling with which you are called. Here's this great calling that he has in chapter 1, 2, and 3. Let me know who you are in Christ. And now that your walk would be worthy of that, that there would be sort of this balance. And I thought of it, of course, I do accounting, so that, you know when you do account when you do accounting by hand, the whole problem was does it balance? Did I mess up somewhere and it doesn't quite balance? And here's this idea that we just want to bring into this some, and this is what he's saying to us: to bring into some of this your side, your walk. Now, what has he done? Well, he did one in chapter one. This is good stuff. I'm just going to review real quick here. Chapter 1, verse 4, he says, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy without blame before Him in love. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Verse 11, in Him we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Verse 13, In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. The Holy Spirit now is like that engagement ring that He's sealing us with. The, that is the guarantee of our inheritance that the Lord is going to return and He's coming back for those who are His. And so He seals us, now fills us with the Holy Spirit. And He can distinguish us from the rest of the world. And He looks down at yes, child of God. He's going to return. He's returning for His bride, the church. That's us. This is that great thing. And the Jewish marriage. You know, there's this idea that the bridegroom, we know there's a wedding coming, but that the bridegroom would go away. He would disappear for a while. And then without knowing, the best man is going to come and he's going to go, he's coming. And then everybody's got to get ready. Everybody's on. Hey, the wedding's going to happen now. 
This could happen any time. And then the bridegroom comes, takes his bride, and then you have this wedding. Now it's all going to begin. And so here it is. It's the same way. Now for us, it's the same way. We're the church. We're the bride. He's left. We're waiting because there's coming a wedding supper of the Lamb. We're coming this great wedding. It's going to happen. But we don't know exactly the time or date, the season. We just don't, we don't know exactly. Ah, it's going to be this announcement. I really want to do this with my children. I've got four daughters. I'm like, let's try this. This would be awesome. I mean, let's just do it. It would be so biblical. Let's have a, I got one daughter left. Maybe we can try it. See what happens. Usually these things don't, you know, my idea is when it comes to weddings, we've done three daughter weddings, you know, nobody really actually listens to me. I go, hey, let's do this. And, and it's like they just keep talking. It's as if I have no say so. I'm a checkbook. That's all I am. So, but I, I, this could be exciting. I need a brook on board for this one. I, but here's the, that's the picture. And so now he's got this, there's this engagement ring, the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. And now you begin to know. Your spirit inside of you begins to confirm that this is true. You begin to read the Word of God. The Word of God becomes alive. It becomes real. And you go, no, 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 this is cool. The Lord is actually speaking through His Word to me. How do I know that? Well, that's, it's just kind of a mystery almost. It's, yeah, He speaks to me. And now you begin to try to explain to me. I can't explain it to you. It's just awesome. It's a relationship that I have with God. It's a personal relationship. And people look at you and they want to argue with you and they want to ask you questions. I, go, I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand all the answers to your questions. I don't know your arguments. But I know this is the greatest decision i ever made. And I know the Word of God is alive and it's living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. It has this ability to do something to my own heart that I go, yeah, this is all true. This is right. And I want you to come into that same place and find that same sort of thing. We have to read this because it's Ephesians chapter 2 and it's such a great book. But he made alive, verse 1, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin, which he once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince, the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom you also once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. Verse 4, but God. I think that's the greatest two words with a comma in the Bible. But God, God intervenes into the life. He changes this course. He changed the course of my life, changed the course of your life to where we were going a different direction. And he comes in and he says, but God, who is rich in mercy, we need mercy. Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Raised us up together to make us sit in the heavenly places in Christ, that in the ages to come he might show his exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. It just goes on. It's great stuff, but we've got to move on. Here's what the Lord's doing. Here's what he's done for you. And now Paul's going to come in chapter 4 and he's going to say, Therefore, here I am as a prisoner of the Lord. I beg you that you would walk worthy of this calling, that you would walk worthy of the place that God has brought you to. Walk worthy of all of this inheritance that you have. And there's a great weight and a great glory. And so we go, well, how do I walk? How do I do this? And he really answers the question in the next verse. He says, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. And we're going to talk about this idea of love as we go forward. We're going to jump around a little bit. But uh, we have a theme verse this morning. I don't know what a theme verse is, but I thought we've got one. (laughs) 
we've got a theme verse. You should memorize this. You know this verse. It's John 13, 34, and 35. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he knows that he's going to go to the cross. He's about to go to the cross. He knows that he's going to suffer, that he's going to die. He knows that he's going to rise again. He's going to be seen by hundreds, that he's going to go up into the air, and that he will return at some point. And we are, we're in this place in history looking for his return. But Jesus wants to talk to his disciples. He wants to tell them things. And he's giving them those last few messages, those last few commands that are going to be so important for their ability to continue on. And so he says to these guys in John 13, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love becomes this trademark identifying thing of disciples of Christ. How can we distinguish Christians from the rest of the world around them? The trademark, the distinguishing mark is love. It's the one thing that you can look at and go, oh, this is weird, especially in our day and age. Because the world is desperate for love. They're desperate for something. They're searching so hard. We're searching so hard sometimes for something. We're trying to replace this thing called love. This acceptance. Unconditional acceptance. To be brought into this family. And we've got destroyed homes and destroyed men. Kids go in different directions. And man, the world is desperate. What, What is that? They don't know. They have no idea. And so we latch on to stuff. We latch on to the things of this world. And we go, oh, this is it. If I just work harder and, and work a ton, and that will be the thing that fulfills me. And so we do that for a while. And then at some point we go, oh, man, I've achieved. I've gotten there. And I still didn't do it. And maybe it's that person, that, that spouse that you got. And go, yeah, this is going to be the thing. Man, now I can be happy. I finally found somebody. And so we get married. And then after a little while, you're going, wait a second. This is not the fulfillment that I was thinking. I mean, I thought this was going to be like this perfect situation. My marriage is perfect, of course, but I was hoping that maybe you guys need help. My wife's probably listening somewhere. You have some children, hopes for the future, all of these things. We look unto other things in the world and try to find fulfillment. The whole world is looking upon and what come up short. And hopefully that's what happens is they walk into the church, they walk into your life, into your living room, and they find something they've never seen before. They don't know what it's like to have somebody who will just love them, who will love unconditionally, to just minister to their needs, to be praying for them. Now that's, that's uncanny. So this is the distinguishing mark. That's our theme, verse John 13, 34 there. And so let's talk about love. i got three or four points. But the first one is that love serves. Philippians, if you go to the right, next book over, great little book, Philippians 2, 1 through 4. In Philippians 2, he says, therefore, there's that therefore again, therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship in the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Verse 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. And so he says, this is how we do it. How are we going to be of one accord and of one mind? 
as we get into 1 Corinthians, as you begin to read that first chapter, you see that it's unity. It's almost a theme. Unity and the problems of disunity and that disaccord and the separations that happen in the church. And so he says, listen, this is what you need to do. I want you to have that same love, one accord, one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition. But in lowliness of mind, esteem others better than themselves. Service, I think, is the deal. This is Christianity is played out in service. You will find yourself and find out who you are as you begin to serve others. As you begin to open yourself up and go, listen, I'm willing to serve. Paul would just listen, as you actually esteem others better than yourself. That means I've got to put you up higher in my mind that you are going to be higher than me. That I'm taking that lower position. I'm able to serve. Because, you know, if you don't put yourself in that mentally lower position, it really gets difficult to serve. Then you sit back and go, well, there's somebody else supposed to do this. You know, something happens at church, around the building. You know, it's like, don't we hire interns for that? Shane, where is Shane? Where is Shane, anyway? I don't know. It's like, where is that guy? We need to lift this ladder up and go to the top. That ladder that had to go all the way to the top of this thing is so heavy. It is inconceivably heavy. As we want to serve us and esteem others higher than ourselves, this is what we're going to do. We're going to begin to serve. And I think this starts out probably played out in your home. Before we take foot in the church, step into church, we, it gets figured out. I tell the young people, I said, listen, you want to be happy the rest of your life? Just be unselfish. It works. Unselfishness works. And when you're newly married, of course you're unselfish. Everything's about the other person. Everybody's super happy. But obviously, that is great advice. But what happens is somebody gets selfish along the way. And then the other person goes, well, well if you're going to be selfish, then I'm going to be selfish. I mean, it's no fair that you could be selfish and somebody's got to die. You cannot argue with a dead man. Ephesians chapter 5 seems to indicate that that is the husband. Sorry, guys. <laughs> but you have to die. As Christ loved his bride, he died for his church, and he says, listen, if you'll die, it'll, it'll work. And that's what your wife says, too. You know? So, I mean, maybe not literally. You know, there is this life insurance that always makes things a little dicey. Like, wait a second. You know, you are worth more dead than alive. Just like... No, because now you just die to yourself. And so you begin to serve and go, no, 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 you're, you're more important. You're the one. I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to put my needs aside. And then you have children. You realize you're both sitting there like, whoa. I mean, this is not good. And these little monsters are waking up in the middle of the night, and they're inconsolable children. I've, I've gone off on this before, but the inconsolable little children, just inconceivable. Just, I don't know what to do for you. Just crying. Why stop? I've got these grandkids. They just cry. And you're just like, it's just your shoe. You're just tying your shoe. Like, let's just move on. This should not be that difficult. And then you, so you have these little kids, and now you realize how selfish you are. And they're waking up in the middle of the night, and they're causing problems. And we, I mean, we didn't sleep for you. We had five children under the age of seven. We hadn't slept in the night for years. I mean, it was five or six years. I mean, it was just like, I was just waiting for the day that I could sleep through the night. And so all this gets worked out, and then we walk into the church, and there's other people here. And we go, oh, we got this. I know what this is like. I can put you ahead of myself. I know what this is like. And our children begin to learn it with their siblings. And we begin to tell our children, this is what you need to do. Your friends are coming over, and we want to be unselfish. So we're going to grab your best toy, that thing you just got for your birthday, and we're going to let them use it. (laughs) Yes, we're going to be unselfish. 
But sometimes we as parents build this into our children. We go, listen, you need to put that thing away. You want it to get broken. I mean, that kid is coming over. I mean, he's probably breaking. So let's just keep that one on the down low. Give him that old toy to play with, and it'll be okay. We build it in. We build that selfishness. No, no, no. Hey, let's grab all your stuff. And you sit back and you die to yourself. And you let it go. <sighs> Shock. All starts at home. Christianity is so built into the home, it's unbelievable. So love serves. We're going to serve. We're going to esteem others higher than ourselves. We're not going to look out for our own interests, but also for the interests of others. Love also, that was number one. Number two, there's an outline here somewhere. You know, let's do love takes risks. Mark chapter two. Gospel of Mark chapter two. Love takes risks. Mark two, one. It says, again, he entered Capernaum, and after some days, it was heard that he was in the house. And immediately, many gathered together, and there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them, Jesus. And they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, he let down on the bed on which the paralytic was lying. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. So here we've got these four guys. They've heard these things. They've heard what Jesus is doing. They believe that Jesus can take care of their friend. I don't know what happened to this guy, but he's a paralytic. He's got four friends. Maybe they played basketball together. Maybe there was an accident, but he, now he's in this place. Desperately, need, and they go, no, no, we need to get this guy to Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the one who can deal with this. I think it's like a little gurney probably, and they, these four guys take off, and then they try to get into the house. But they can't actually get into the house because there's people coming out the doors. And you can imagine this scene of some little house, and there's people even outside, and outside along the windows. And the, well, there's probably no windows, so it would be like this. But there's people even along that out there just listening in, trying to hear Jesus preaching. He's teaching the Word. And they're all listening, all this stuff. And they can't even get in the building. So there's a great idea. We're going to go to the roof, and we're going to rip a hole in this guy's roof, and then we're going to drop our friend down. This is taking some things. They've got to figure out, is there a rope involved? Do we have to put him on? How do we get him down there? Probably didn't just throw him down there and go, well, he can't feel anything anyway. <laughs> no, they probably lowered him down, but there's some risk involved. Because what if they just get in trouble for ripping somebody's roof off? What if people start to yell? What if people are like, what are you doing? There's people, important people, sitting there listening to Jesus. They've got some great seats. And now there's junk falling down onto their heads. They're probably like, what do they think they're doing? Why don't you guys get off there? Where's the owner of the house to chase these guys away? There's huge amounts of risks that are going over there. They're like, no, no, no. We've got to do whatever we can to get this guy in front of Jesus. And that's what they're doing. They, love, will begin to take risk. And we all know this kind of person. They're in our families. They're our car workers. They're our neighbors. That we look at their lives. We hear them. We have a little bit of a relationship with them. We talk to them. And we think into our minds. We go, this guy needs the Lord. He's just a mess. And now what do I do? Am I willing to take a risk 
to go, even just a simple thing of like, hey, would you like to come to church with me? I know this great church right around the corner. You know, the marketing people for churches, are, they're out there. They'll tell you that the number one reason people go to church, the number one reason why people show up is because they were invited by somebody else. It wasn't advertising. It wasn't Facebook. It wasn't great media presence. It wasn't any of those things. They came because somebody said, would you come? What about coming? What about showing up? Sometimes we're looking at people's lives. There's the only thing that can fix you. It's going to be the Lord. Now, I think the number one way is we bring people to Jesus, and this is probably step one. We've talked about this before. But step one really would be that thing to come in and go, I need to begin to pray. I just met my neighbors. Just begin to pray. Begin to pray. Begin to pray. If you're a shy person, I'm a little shy. I'm going, Lord, I pray they start the conversation. <laughs> it does work. Totally works. Not all the time. Sometimes you've got to take a risk. Sometimes you've got to be bold. And go, listen, I, I don't know. I talk to some people and they have all arguments and the things and they're arguing with me. I don't always have those answers. And I'll, I'll find myself saying at some point in the conversation, look, all I know is the greatest decision I ever made. This is what I know. I know the word comes alive. I don't have all the answers to all of your questions, but I know this is real. This has become real. And so we want to take risks with people. We want to bring them to the feet of Jesus. We're going to do that in prayer, but we're not going to stop there because the Lord is going to open up an opportunity. Hey, why don't you come to church with me? How about I just stop by and pick you up? And some of you guys are great at that. You're always dragging somebody new to church. You know, you're finding people. You're finding the hitchhiker on the side of the road. It's like, well, I'm going to church. You're stuck in my car. And then, <laughs> see that happen. Great. But here, we just want to take those risks because this is love. This is how love gets to begin to work out. This is, I care enough about you. I want to put you in a place that you can find healing and rest and joy and fulfillment. Because I can't give you any advice. I can't give you a marriage advice or parenting advice. I can't do all of those things. Those are nice little things, but that's not going to do it. You need the Lord, man. You need this relationship. So love serves. Love's going to take risks with those around us. Number three, Acts chapter three, love ministers to one. Acts three. This is a very familiar story. I may be just teaching some of my favorite stories up here this morning. But Acts chapter three, verse one says, Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So Peter and John are on their normal course of business of the day. Going to the temple for prayer, it's the hour of prayer. This is not unusual. They would be doing this. They're good Jews. They're good Jewish boys. They've got this thing down. They've been hanging out with Jesus, and yet they're still, still going to go to the temple. We're still going to pray. This is a time of prayer. Verse 2, a certain man laid lame from his mother's womb was carried whom they had laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, when seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. And so he gave his attention to him, expecting to receive something from them. And so here's this guy. He's been lame since his mother room. He's got some friends. He's got some people that will drop him off at this gate of the temple called Beautiful. So there's different gates that are going to the temple. This one's name is Beautiful. It's an identifying, it's a geographic spot. 
And so they're going to put him down there. He'd probably do this on a regular basis, daily basis. He can sit there and he can beg for alms from the poor. The disciples have probably passed him hundreds of times. The Jesus has probably passed him. You know, this is just going through this thing. And then here's this guy. He's asking for alms. He's putting up his hand. He's, I don't even think he's really expecting anything. Because he doesn't even make eye contact. He's not even trying to guilt Peter and John into something. Peter says, look at us. So he gave them their attention. Now he's like, oh, well, maybe, oh, hey, oh, I can wake up here. Is this, uh, there, maybe there's something here. Peter says, silver and gold we do not have. That could have been a little disappointing at that moment. But he says, what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping, stood up, walked, entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they all knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And so here we've got this guy, and he, man, Peter says, listen, stand up, and he pulls him up, and he, and he is restored, he is healed, and his legs have strength. Imagine this. I mean, I had a broken leg. I sat in a chair for three months. Total muscle atrophy. I had no muscle left. It was unbelievable how quickly your body disintegrates when you don't move. It's unbelievable to me. So here's this guy. He's been lame from birth. There's nothing. There's no muscle. We had a guy who was a handicapped guy who lived with us when I was young for a while in a wheelchair. And he, the same thing. Legs, just nothing to him. Just lame. And now this guy stands up, jumps up, and man, he's like, man, there's strength. And so it says he's walking and leaping and praising the Lord, and walking and leaping and praising the Lord. And it is probably not soft. He's probably not keeping it to himself. He is fired up. He has just received something he's never felt. He's got strength in his life. I mean, it's just got to be such a new experience. It's like, what? Yes, he's jumping and leaping. Yes. This is so exciting. And it'll go on to say that he grabs Peter and John. He doesn't let go of them. So he's jumping and leaping and praising the Lord and hanging on to these guys. Like, you guys are not going anywhere. I'm staying really close to you because this is crazy. And it says everyone recognized him. Everybody can say, we know that guy. He's jumping around like a wild man, but we know him. He's been sitting outside that gate for decades. We know who that is. Man, his life has been changed. What's going on? And they're all wonder, wonder, amazement. Looking on, what's happening? Peter goes, hey, this is a great opportunity to preach the word. A couple thousand people get saved. Wow, huge outpouring. Man, the Lord's doing this great work. This is an awesome work. He's had 2,000 people added to the church instantly. Bam. Like people are just like, yes, this is solidifying. They see the, what the Lord is doing and he gives them the message. Yeah. And here's you got this guy bouncing around. I mean, you just can't deny this. He's just bouncing all over the place. He's so excited. But what, what happened? Where did he get this? Where did, did they walk into the go? I mean, let's have an evangelistic crusade this morning. Let's going to go out. We're just going to go out and do some witnessing. we go to the temple. Maybe we can get a crowd around, and maybe we'll witness the people. Maybe, maybe we'll get a couple hundred people to get saved. No, nothing like that. They weren't doing that. Didn't do that at all. Doesn't seem to be anything like that at all. What were they doing? They're going to go pray. It's the hour of prayer. We're going to go pray. We're just going to go pray. What's the plan? We're going to go pray. We have no idea. Beyond that, I had nothing. 
So they're on their way to prayer, and they run into this guy. And instead of going, well, you know, time is, I mean, I'm supposed to be a meeting start. Prayer meeting starting, I don't have time to talk to you. But they don't do that. They sit back and go, oh, wait. Hey, hey look at us. <laughs> we don't have any money. We got nothing. But what I do have, I'm going to give it to you. Hey, why don't you rise up and walk? And so it's this ministry to this one person. And as a result of that one person who is super excited and they're bouncing. This is what new Christians do. They kind of bounce and leap and praise the Lord and this is exciting. And because of that, all the other people are like going, what is going on here? And Peter takes that opportunity to share the word of God and the word of God bears this fruit and two, three thousand people are saved and it's like, whoa, this is what the Lord is doing. What happened? Ministry to one person. One. I read this story and I think to myself, it's like, you know, I can do one. I don't know if I can minister to thousands or hundreds. or I can do one. I think the Lord kind of goes, yeah, that's it. One person. And who is that one person? Now, I like to play the odds a little bit. If I were you, I would make a list of ten. I'm going to make a list of ten people. The navigators call this an evangelism prayer list. Ten people. These are people that I come in contact with, but I'm pretty sure they don't know the Lord, and I'm going to begin to pray for them. That neighbor, that worker, that person you buy coffee from every day, all these different people, and I'm just going to begin to pray. I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer. And maybe there's an opportunity that you have one person in front of you. It's not going to be some great ministry. It's not going to be some big dynamic thing. But there's one person that I could take a risk with, that I could serve, that I could esteem them a little higher than myself. And I can put them up and go, okay, let me help you, show you the way. I don't know all the answers. I can take you to church. I can do whatever I can for you. But I'm going to begin to pray. And that's what these guys started out doing. We're just going to pray for you just going to go to prayer and looking for that one person. So love, love serves. Love's going to take some risks. There's going to be some risks involved. Love ministers to one. And then number four, love worship. Luke 17, verse 11. A familiar passage. Luke 17, verse 11. says, Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee, and then he entered a certain village. And there met him ten who were lepers, who stood afar off, and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And so when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priests. And so it was, as they went, they were cleansed. So you got the scene, Jesus is walking into this city, He's got his entourage, there's people around him, and he's walking along, and there's ten lepers. Ten lepers are, you know, they're excluded. They're not hanging out. They're not in the crowd because they're contagious. Stay over there. We don't want hand, foot, and mouth going around. We don't want any of this. You're contagious. And so they're off in the distance. They're over there on the edge of the forest for us. Right? They're way over there, and they're, they're calling out, have mercy on us. Lord, Master, have mercy on us. In a loud voice, they're crying out, have mercy. Jesus... This is what he says. This is the answer. Go show yourself to the priest. Does that seem like a strange conversation to anybody else but me? But that just seems a little strange. They're having have mercy on us. Now, the priests are the leprosy doctor. If you think you have leprosy, you're going to go to the priest. The priest is going to start to measure that. They're going to determine whether it's leprosy or just a wart. And they're going to figure it out. And then you may be unclean. And there may be certain things that you have to do. And then you have to come back in seven days. And we're going to figure this out. But if you have leprosy, man, you're going to be you're going to probably have to leave your family and your job and everything, and you're probably going to live over there with some other lepers because you're just out. You're not walking back into church. 
No way. You're not walking into the crowd. If you're walking into the crowd, you're announcing the fact that you are unclean. Imagine the life of these guys. They probably used to be somebody. Probably owned their own business. Probably did something. They had marriages and families and children. And yet now they have leprosy. A skin-altering disease that will eat away, especially those small areas of your body like your nose and your ears and your fingers. Still, in some parts of the world, if you go to India, we're in India praying for lepers. Covered mostly. You don't really get to see those things. So he says, go show yourselves to the priest. And they seem to obey that. They, they turn and they begin to walk that direction. As they're walking, these ten guys, as they're walking that direction, they, they go, whoa, we are clean. Like, Joe, did you, did you have a nose before? Because you've got a nose now. I mean, that just happened. And your hands are there and probably taking off some bandages and things and wraps and going, man, I got baby-like skin. This is awesome. We are clean. And one guy stands in the middle of that group and going, we're all clean. Oh, man. You, you can imagine today it would be like, oh, man, we're forgiven. Yes. And in this group, this small group, we're all going, man, look at what the Lord has done. And one goes, hey, let's go back. Let's go back to him. Let's get back into the presence of him who just did this. We know it was him. That's where that power came from. It came from Jesus. Let's go back. And one guy turns and the other nine, who knows? What'd they do? What'd they say? They just turn and go like, no, 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 no. He told us to go to the priest. We're doing what he told us. I don't know what they said. They just went, no, we're not doing that. I don't know what they said. This happens oftentimes as we're in church. People come to church. Your neighbors, those people... They come into church, and, and we've done this, and we, we understand this. We get to church, and we begin to take in the Word. And we hear the, a message, and we're encouraged in the Lord. And we begin to bury We begin to walk with the Lord. We begin to walk down this road with Him. We come to Him, and we ask Him for forgiveness. And we get that sense. We feel that. Yes, I've been forgiven. I'm clean. And now that my life that was a disaster is no longer, it's, it's, there's hope. There's a glimmer of hope. And my marriage, which was a disaster, now is... There's healing, and it's, it's looking better. And, and, oh, man, the attitudes have changed. And, man, there's just healing. And so, so people come into like this. Do we know this? They come into church like this, and they go, oh, and after a little while, after a few weeks, maybe after a few months, they go, you know what? I'm doing pretty good. And then they just keep walking. And they don't really turn back. And they don't stay in church. The Lord would tell the Israelites through the Old Testament, you see it over and over and over again, because he says, listen, you guys have been enslaved for 400 years. I'm going to take you out. I'm going to take you to a land flowing with milk and honey. What did he say? This is a rich, rich land. Everything that you need. You're going to have vineyards that you didn't plant. You're going to have wells you didn't dig. You're going to move into homes which you didn't build. You didn't pay for. There's no mortgage. It's all free. You're just going to walk into this. Situation. It's going to be incredibly, it's the promised land. We live in the promised land. All you got to do is do a little traveling, and you realize, whoa, America is, is a rich place. But what the Lord would tell the Israelites and what he wants to tell us as Americans, he says, listen, when you get there and you're experiencing all these great things, don't forget me. 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 Because the tendency is once everything's going good, once everything's got a little relief, is to no longer acknowledge the Lord. Now I'm just going to enjoy life. I'm going to coast. Because it's so much better. Life is so much better. So these ten lepers, nine of them keep walking. The one goes, I'm going back. And he falls down at the feet of Jesus. He walks right into that crowd where he would never have been. 
falls down on his face before Jesus and worships him alone. Sometimes there's those moments in life as we begin to experience the love of God and we're just going to stand alone. Then we're just going to worship the Lord. I'm going to worship the Lord in spite of my family, in spite of those people who around me who antagonize me about that. Because it looks a little funny. If I have to say to somebody, I can't do that because I've got to go to church or I've got this obligation and there's something spiritual going on. I don't really want to be there. And we, we get nervous about those things. And we say, well, no, it's a, sometimes it's going to be about standing alone. So we're standing with the Lord and just worshiping the Lord for who he is. You know, I was thinking about those wise men who came to visit Jesus as the baby Jesus is being born. We've seen it in the stars. We know what we're following that thing. And they come into this place and they just to worship. What are we doing here? We're worshiping this king, one born king. We're worshiping him. What do we get? Nothing. They actually got nothing. They actually left really expensive gifts on a really long journey, and then just turned around and went home. What are you doing? This, I asked myself this question. Why am I going to church? What am I coming to church for? Well, it's because i got to do this, or I have this responsibility, or what is this, or maybe I want to see somebody, or I want to have this conversation. Man, it's worship. It's coming back to the Lord. No, no, no I'm actually going to show up and be with the Lord. i got one moment, whereas we can come together as a group to worship the Lord. What am I doing? I did just had this conversation with myself. What am I going for? Got to go to worship the Lord. So love worship. Love serves. Love takes risks. Love ministers to one. Love worships. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this you will know, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It is a trademark. You are a living gospel message. Your life, how you speak, how you walk. You know, some say you're going to walk out your Christian life, and it's not so much important where you walk as much as it is how you walk. There's a little poem just in a sticky note in my Bible. It says, the gospel is written a chapter a day. By deeds that you do and words that you say, men read what you say, whether faithless or true. Say, what is the gospel according to you? And I just think about that. It's like, what is that gospel message according to me? Is love the trademark of my life? That's the question I ask. What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to minister? I'm not sure that I can answer that question for you. The application of all these different verses and different things and different points here this morning really is now we have to kind of come to the Lord and go, okay, Lord, what is it? Who is it? How should I operate differently?